Sauce, Kevin here, and Matt. Before we get started today, I just want to let everybody know that we haven't had any main installment episodes in a while because we're ramping up for a gigantic Season 2 debut. It'll be here before you know it. Huge things planned. I guess uh, the, the only thing I could say is there will be a wall involved. That's the only thing you can say. There will be a wall involved, yes. So that's the only thing you're willing to tell anybody who follows the Create Unknown. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm just good. just one wall or like two, three, four walls. Um. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there is there will be, I guess, four walls because it's not just like one wall in an open field. But um, the, the, the highlight of this will include like a particular wall. OK, so four walls total, but one wall is a very special wall. Am I am I clear on this? <laughs> I guess I should have said, yes, there will be a special, special wall. Um. That will be the highlight of season two, but you have to wait to see what that will be. But in the meantime, we're going to be doing these kind of mini episodes where, you know, Matt and I are just talking through some things that basically we talk about offline and we're bringing that conversation online for you to hear. And today's topic was sparked by something that you posted actually on Facebook in regards to the last Vsauce 2 video, uh, Mr. Beast's $1 million dilemma where the video was doing well you were excited about it you wanted to share that with friends and family on facebook and you get this comment that's essentially like what what is this you made this how do you make this and you proceeded to kind of go into an unbelievable amount of detail explaining how a vsauce 2 video gets made and i thought it was funny just because well that's all that i do all day is think about this but an analogy that I thought of that would be funny was if, like, someone posted a baby on Facebook and somebody <laughs> replied, what? How do you make this? And the mom, like, proceeds to go into, like, incredible detail with, like, well, about nine months ago, um, you know, my husband and I. <laughs> I. I've heard that there are plenty of resources that explain that process on the Internet already. <laughs> I don't You're know right, about though. in the in that in the amount of detail though that you explained how to make a Vsauce two video. So, <laughs> um, but that's what this podcast is going to be not uh, not the baby making one. That's right. That's a different podcast. What you said though uh, about what happened on Facebook, yeah, that's right. Uh, so when the when Mr. Beast's Million Dollar Dilemma came out, I post it so the people we know and friends and family and all that stuff can see the videos because they don't keep up with with a lot of of what we do. So I posted that and my friend Cole who's a wildly talented wildly talented artist musician, he's actually animating uh, doing a, a full feature length animated rock opera right now. And it's going to be I think he's he's going to have it done by the end of the year maybe, but that just lets you know that he's a guy who who really thinks about the creative process and how somebody else does something. So he flat out asked, uh, what? <laughs> and then some follow-up <laughs> questions uh, about how this, how this gets made. And like you said, we talk about the elements of this constantly. I mean, all the time, all day, right? And I talk about, uh, about how things go from idea to finished projects constantly when I work with other channels, other creators. But... I'd never really put it all together. And so when I replied to Cole, I, I outlined the basic process, and that was a thousand words. And I thought of all of these things, these little elements that matter a whole lot, 
that I hadn't addressed in there. So I kept doing follow-up comments and I made a bulleted list of, of all those elements that I would want to mention. And the list was 19 items long. And this was happening when I was in bed, I was just on my phone. And so it's not like I sat down and had a session to do this. And I still came up with, you know, five pages of text and 19 additional items uh, just on the spot. But I started thinking about the process as a whole because we don't ever take it as a whole. We're so wrapped up in each step of it. Outlining that is actually a really important thing. And I started to realize how many times people like Cole have asked me questions about how you do what you do, how other creators do what they do. It's a pretty fascinating, fascinating thing to think about. And you're the right guy to talk to about it. Well, at least for how... I do what I do. You know, I think that everybody has certainly different processes for creating whatever it is they create. You know, I don't think that um, uh, a makeup guru goes through the, the same exact steps as um, an EDU creator or someone who does, you know, react videos goes through the same process as someone like um, like what's inside who's, you know, they got to figure out how to cut open uh, a safe. Right, right. <laughs> you know, like, like, like step one, get a safe. <laughs> step two, like, how do we cut this thing open? You know, so, so everybody definitely has different uh, approaches because they need to. Because and that's what I love about YouTube. Well, one of the many things I love about YouTube is is just the variety of content and the variety of people creating this stuff in so many different ways. To ultimately get to kind of the same finish line, which is, I hope other people are interested in watching me do this. Conceptually, I think that the process is pretty similar for most creators. They do it their own way, and it's going to play out uh, in terms of specifics. It's going to play out very differently, but generally and conceptually, I think it's fairly similar across the board for most people who are on YouTube. And I think we really need to pull back the curtain on this whole process as we think more about what's going to go into season two and who we're going to talk to and how we're going to talk to them. Uh, it's a pretty good time, pretty good time to outline at the most foundational level what this is all about. So I think everybody starts in one form or another with some kind of idea, right? So what do you do? What, uh, where does... Where does a video begin for you? Well, I mean, that's changed a lot over the years, first of all, you know, um, because I've done so many different formats and so many different shows. So, you know, a show like Mind Blow, which was a science and tech news program, that would start with just a lot of reading and a lot of research, um, just looking at different websites and, and different posts and um, digging deep into scientific uh, uh, press releases. So that was really like a research-based show, like researching what the, the breaking news was in, like, whether, whether it's in medicine or biology or, you know, a new dinosaur, wh whatever it is. Um, that's very different than what we're doing now on Vsauce 2, which is kind of exploring um, game theory, exploring thinking and how we think, and um, different paradoxes, that sort of thing. That That's a totally different thing. So I think just within Vsauce 2, you know, depending on what show you're talking about, the process ends up 
being different from day one. So just to just to say what it is on day one now, it's what's a topic that is interesting to me, uh, first of all, because if it's not interesting to me, then I, I'm going to have a hard time. out. Yeah, I'm going to have a hard time thinking that I can make it interesting to anybody else because, you know, if I don't like it, then why would anybody else? It's probably not going anywhere, no. Yeah, no. I mean, somebody else may be super passionate about this thing that I find boring and, <laughs> and, and you know, God bless them and I hope that their channel does really well and they can make a much better video about that thing than I can. But, for instance... um, like things like the missing dollar riddle or the birthday paradox, it really starts with like, what is this concept that is that has a surprising element to it? I think that's really an important part of choosing a topic. Is there a surprising element that that I find intriguing that I think other people will also find intriguing and just kind of like twists your twists your brain in a fun way. I'm glad that you brought up the birthday paradox specifically because I think it's a really good example of this where you went through the process of asking whether it interested you, and it did. Then is it compelling to other people? It absolutely was. And then seeing how it's been done before. And the cool thing about the birthday paradox is that a lot of capable people have talked about this and made good videos explaining it before. So you had to you had to ha you had to deal with the task of uh, okay it's kind of been done but I have an element here that's going to be quite a bit different than anything that's that's happened before uh, I can make this video in a way that is completely fresh and new even to somebody who's familiar with the general idea of the birthday paradox that's a really cool part of the process to be able to inject that freshness to take it in a new direction. So the idea that you have at the beginning, that idea may need to change a little bit, right? Well, I mean, I think that's the crux of all creative endeavor, honestly, is is what are you adding to this thing that, you know, other people have, have either already like done before or, you know, are familiar with? Like, look at music, okay? Any musician is writing songs like that are kind of like other songs that came before them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, sure. Um, I'm sure that, you know, Lady Gaga listened to Madonna or that um, Nirvana listened to the Beatles and the Beatles were influenced by, um, I don't know who the, the Beatles, I'm not, I'm not a Beatles aficionado, so I'm sure they were influenced by maybe like the blues or I don't really know. This isn't a music podcast, unfortunately. Do you... <laughs> no, but there's, there is, uh, w when you mentioned things uh, like cover songs, or you, you, you kind of were going in that direction, where if you think about cover songs, there are people who do covers who, you know, they, they really don't do anything new with it, and it's not, it's not great. And then you have these legendary covers, like, this makes me 700 years old, but... I think of it like like Whitney Houston covering I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton. Okay, so Dolly recorded that song, and it was a big deal. Everybody loved it. Whitney Houston came along and did it her way. And nobody gave her a hard time because it wasn't uh, a song that she had written originally because she owned it. She tweaked it to reflect her style, her abilities. 
and it was awesome. And now we have two great versions of something. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, explicitly of all along the Watchtower. Yes, that's when when th- so this is like the quintessential example of that to me was all along the Watchtower was a Bob Dylan song that Jimi Hendrix covered and just just made it so amazing that Bob Dylan later said, well, that's that's a Jimi Hendrix song now. Like, Jimi Hendrix cover of Dylan's song was so good that Dylan himself was like, that's not even my song anymore. That's that's just that's just Jimi Hendrix song. So th- this is all to say, and this is something that I have heard from budding YouTubers, from people who want to make videos, who get discouraged that topics that they're interested in have already been covered by someone do it anyway. Do it your way. There is no like inexhaustible topic. There's always a fresh perspective. There's always new ways to demonstrate it. There's new ways to articulate it. Like there is no definitive really version of, of any explanation or, or topic I can think of. It's as if, you know, no one ever wanted to do comedy again after Charlie Chaplin. They're like, well, I'll never be funnier than that guy. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe, but you could be as funny as you are. So if somebody, that's good enough, I think. Yeah. If somebody said to me, oh, I want to have this. I want to have this channel where I make unboxing videos. People send me weird things in the mail and I open them up live and react naturally. Okay. This has been done before in a really exceptional way. Idubs is pretty good at opening up strange packages when he doesn't accidentally cut his arm open. But that's great. If you tried to do it, though, it's going to be a completely different experience. You're just not going to be the same guy, even though you're doing something similar. And I'm not saying that everybody should go out and start a, a strange package reaction channel, but it would be impossible to copy him. It just isn't possible because you're going to inject all of your personality and all of your style into whatever you do, even if it's a setup that is as straightforward as I am going to take the lid off something and I don't know what's inside of it. Right, right. And you see this in the EDU space, and I'm most familiar with that because of Vsauce, obviously, but the the number of EDU channels that have cropped up over the last, you know, five, six years is just inspiring. And, and the amount that of newcomers onto the scene who then end up, you know, inspiring me, someone who's been doing it for such a long time. Um, it's really kind of like a reciprocal thing that I think is great. So anyway, getting back to the original point of like how a Vsauce 2 video starts, that's how it starts. It starts with me being interested in something, something I think is surprising, unique, and and also something that I think has some sort of... <clears throat> message that will allow people to understand themselves better or each other better or the world better. If there's not like an undercurrent of something you can kind of take away from a concept, then I'm not super interested in it. That's how I usually describe Vsauce 2 to people is these are videos that that cross a, a broad spectrum of content. But the common theme is that each one tells you a little bit about what's going on in your head or what's going on in the world around that head. I think that's a fair way to put it. So what you've described, really, a video, an idea is going to sink or swim based on how compelling it is to the audience. And that's that's the next step in the process, isn't it? After you've had an idea and thought about it for a little while. 
how to make that compelling to everybody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that often just starts with the title and the thumbnail because that's really the gateway into the video. You know, if people don't click on the video, then it doesn't matter how good the video is because they'll never see it. So that is a really strong element that I think everyone understands. Some people take advantage of, you know, the the whole term clickbait comes into play here where, you know, you're kind of specifically trying to mislead. Like, for instance, I saw this thing. I saw this. It, this was on trending, too. That just boggled my mind where the the title of the video was something like top 10 craziest things found in Antarctica or something okay. like that. And it was a it was a picture of Jason Voorhees like, what? like underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like from Friday the 13th. It was like a screenshot of Jason from Friday the 13th, like like in Crystal Lake underwater. And I'm like. That was not found in Antarctica. <laughs> like this, there's no way that that whoever like made this video found Jason Voorhees like under the polar ice caps, and uh, like this is what clickbait is, and and that's why people um, have a problem with that that sort of like misleading title and thumbnail. But even when you get somebody to click. You have to make a narrative that's compelling to them from the beginning to the end. And we've talked, we've talked about that process with, with every video, really, for, for a long time now on how once somebody begins, they need to have a reason to stick around. You've got to give them something interesting. And I want to detail my pain on this point, because this is basically the only thing that we ever, that we ever argue about on any on making a video is what's compelling because there are all sorts of things that are compelling to me. And I, I, I point them out to you and, and say, Hey, check this out because this is awesome. The one that, that I always, that I bring you, well, you know, that I bring it up like every two days is with the legend of Zorba video Infocom, the company that made software in the early eighties, the quirkiness of their story is really fascinating to me. They sat around a table and decided on the name of their company before they decided what the company would actually do. They literally chose Infocom because it sounded like a serious software company. And then the next question was like, okay, now what are we going to make? That stuff, I thought it was amazing and, and cool and nerdy and fun and everything. And we went through it and it wasn't compelling to you. And you cut that stuff out. It didn't. It didn't go in to that whole narrative about the, the Zorba computer, and it was absolutely the right move. Had all of that stuff that was fascinating to me been included, that video probably isn't a good one. Well, I think it comes down to just trying to imagine the video from an audience's perspective. It comes down to like trying to get out of my subjective experience and seeing it with fresh eyes, you know, as if I didn't know what I was talking about, as if I'm just sitting down and I'm watching this thing. And that's a really hard thing to do. I, I mean, you know, nobody obviously can completely step out of their own skin and their own mind and their own experiences to know what someone else thinks about anything. Uh, but we can project to some degree, I think, 
what someone would think and, you know, which is part of what makes us human. And I really try always to do that with my videos is I try to say, okay, even if this is interesting to me, do I also think it will be interesting to somebody else or to a lot of people or to a stranger? So, so here's the thing. When I first started making YouTube videos, okay, I didn't do that. I just made whatever I thought was funny and weird and, and, and bizarre and stupid when I was just making like potato cartoons on my Kevin Lieber YouTube channel. And how'd that work out for you? It didn't. I mean, I made my friend. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, it's not my career. I didn't continue doing that because it was too self-indulgent. It was too in my own head. It was exactly what I thought was funny. And like maybe people who knew me thought it was funny because they understood my sense of humor. But complete strangers thought it was terrible. They didn't get it. It was not funny. It was very stupid. And I couldn't build an audience that way because if you're not, if you're not entertaining complete strangers, then, I mean, how many people do you know? Uh, 150, according to Robin Dunbar. So, <laughs> Right. You built, you built a, a niche audience and following on that that really loved the work. And that's awesome. And that's a valid approach to all of this, too. You don't necessarily have to have a million subscribers. You can have a hundred and make a hundred people really happy. And that's a remarkable thing to do. So you could have kept going with that, but it's going to be a very different experience than when you really start to think about what do, what do more people want to see? How are they processing these videos? And you're in an especially difficult position with that. Okay. Because at, at a certain size, a creator has to think, all right, I've come up with an idea that's going to be really cool for somebody in Indiana. And then down the line, they've got to start about, uh, they've got to start to factor in how an idea is compelling to the thousands of people in Indonesia who are going to see that video. Is your, is your idea something that is uh, not just interesting to people, but interesting to people all over the world People who may or may not speak English as a first language, so you're communicating differently there. People who have different priorities, uh, different entertainment preferences, everything starts to factor in, and that makes it really tough. Well, that's what I found really tough about comedy, specifically. When I first started YouTube uh, for years and years, I was trying to do comedy and trying to make people laugh, and, and I had mild success at it, but, you know, right away when... Michael uploaded my comedy videos to Vsauce when it was a Vsauce, or sorry, when it was a video game comedy channel. It didn't go over well. You know, it was like 50% no. likes, 50% dislikes. And we got into this a little bit with Michael on his episode. But that kind of like regional humor thing where like, where maybe in New York, you think this is really funny, but in Australia, you know, it's not funny at all. So that was one of the things that really excited me about science news and tech news because I'm also interested in that. And that's something that whether you are in Australia or you are in the UK or you're in Germany or you're in Denmark or you're in India, a robot arm is cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's just cool. There's no, like, there's no language barrier to, like, a prosthetic robot arm. B 
being amazing. And that's sort of what Vsauce 2 developed into eventually was I have a natural passion for the world being weird and amazing and sharing that with other people. That's the second big step here. The first one is having that idea and really kind of wringing it out in every possible way about whether it interests you and other people and all of that, and then finding a way to make it to make it compelling. When you've passed those two points, you need to really make it good, okay? You've got to have, in your case, being in the education space, and especially the science space, science and math, you, you can't be wrong. It's, it, it is not an option for you not to be on point with every sentence of every video. So to get that level of accuracy, and also to go back to what you were just explaining about appealing to a lot of people, what do you have to do? What's, a, what's the process for making sure you make something interesting and accurate and that's going to stand up over time? Well, one of the first things that we didn't mention and I thought of when you talked about opening a video is to get right to the point and also to get right to the point of what they clicked for. So if the title is The Birthday Paradox and it's these two babies in the thumbnail, then right off the bat, I better start talking about birthdays and paradoxes. I think the worst thing you can do is say, oh, hey, everybody, here I am. Well, I guess blah, 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 and have this like long intro and then eventually get to the thing that like just cut to the chase. <laughs> That's something that I learned, you know, over the years, too, is just get right into it. That sets an expectation, too, for the viewer and what they're going to see. It helps make something more interesting. Like you get them to click, you give them why uh, you give them information about why they clicked, which is cool. But it also tells them, you know, this seven minutes that's going to follow. Here's the topic it's going to be about. We're going to do this. And it sets an expectation for them that seems to, th- uh, seems to roll all the way through the rest of the video. Yeah, but I actually have a pet peeve with videos that say, like, repeat what the video is in the beginning. So say you need a tutorial on how to fix your dishwasher. And you go into the search field on YouTube, say, how to fix Whirlpool 89 dishwasher. And then you click on the video that says how to fix Whirlpool 89 dishwasher. And then the guy is like, hey, today we're going to talk to you. I'm going to teach you how to fix the Whirlpool 89. (laughs) It's like, I know, I know, I know, I know. That's what the title of the video was. That's what I searched. The thumbnail was you with the Whirlpool 89 dishwasher. You don't have to tell me that today we're going to talk about how to fix the Whirlpool 89 dishwasher. Like, just start fixing it, man. So when somebody's past this point, whether they've been hit by another restatement of, of the title in the dishwasher case, or they've just had an expectation set, you've got to, you've got to make a narrative and a visual that... That's really accurate and compelling. So with the videos that you make, which like the Inhuman series, humanity is is a fairly complex thing, right? Especially when you're talking about uh, some kind of concept that could go back 10 or 20,000 years. The the research that you can go on is spotty. Uh, It's it's not complete. But you have to present something that's as, as 
sharp as possible and as complete as possible and interesting in a subject that you probably don't have a PhD in. This is a tough, this is a tough process. Right. And it's, it's the process, part of the process that I think people don't fully understand what goes into that on your end, on the research side, on talking to people who are experts in really weird little niches. That's something that I'd like to hear you really put into detail because that's how, that's how a great video that's how a great video comes to be by, by harnessing all of those things. Right. Okay. So for instance, let's see on the, let's pick one that probably most of our listeners have seen. So, okay. The invention of blue. So the invention of blue was a video where I just wanted to make a video about colors. That's where I started. I thought, well, I don't really know much about colors. I just don't like, I don't know the science behind it. I don't know much about pigments or dyes, so I'm just going to find some books on Amazon about colors and see what pops, see what's interesting. Just start reading. That's really where it begins. Just start reading about a thing. And I read a couple of books about colors, and blue was one color that kept jumping out to me as having this strange story and a story that was innately linked to the development of humanity and that being that blue is just not an easy to make color it's not widespread in nature there's not a lot of blue plants there's not a lot of blue food there's not a lot of blue animals so i essentially like like you go down a rabbit hole on youtube i think everybody knows about this you click one video all of a sudden you're watching like 10 videos about something you never thought you'd be interested in it's sort of like that only with books so before i knew it i was buying every book i could find which unfortunately there aren't many about the color blue and then i'm starting to reach like go through the books and notice which experts are quoted in these books like, oh, this person was quoted in this book. Maybe I could reach out to them and ask them some questions. So I'll literally do that. I'll like Google this expert on colors, find their email address, and I'll email them and say, hey, I'm working on this video about the color blue. I have like XYZ questions, or could you read the script and like tell me what you think? What I don't think people realize is how many areas that happens in. So it would be really easy for somebody to hear what you just said and thought, okay, there are a bunch of scientists who know about blue in nature and how humans process that color. That's, that's like a PhD thesis on its own. But the reality is when we, I remember talking to you about, about that video and how it was developing, and we started to realize how many other areas were really important to how the world used blue. For example, manufacturing in the 1800s, like post-industrial revolution manufacturing, that had a major effect on using blue dyes. So all of a sudden, you're in history and economics territory, and this is a completely different thing from like, what makes a bright blue bird, <laughs> you know, like be blue in some island somewhere. So instead of having uh, one field under science that, that you're focusing on, all of a sudden, you're going through this process, another rabbit hole, another set of experts that is in a completely different discipline. We reached out to somebody who, it was Virginia Postrel, I think, who's done a fair amount of work on fabrics and dyeing. 
weaving, things like that. I know she's working on a new book about that. That's a really different thing from somebody in a lab coat, but it was integral to figuring out the story of the color of blue. And again, that's two topics. Like I mentioned history, economics, something like that. Psychology comes into play. Uh, A million other disciplines come into play. And by the end of mulling over a video like that one, you're literally looking at seven or eight different disciplines that you have to have high-level, amazing, accurate, compelling information about. Yeah, yeah. Even even like for one sentence, one or two sentences, of, if I'm going to mention something about, you know, the Egyptian word for blue, there's this guy, Joshua Mark, who is a, a historian and somebody who was really helpful to me on many of the videos, who I'd run that by. I'd be like, you know, I read that because there's conflicting stuff in these books that you read. I mean, you'll read one book that says, oh, well, the Egyptian word for blue is this. And you read this other book and it says, well, it's actually that. So it really helps to know experts and to know scholars and to just have a discussion. Because when you're reading a book, that's just a one-way street. You know, who knows if new information has come to light since that book was published. There's any number of things that can be lost in the translation between the time that book was printed and, you know, this moment that we're living in right now. So, so yeah, a big part of making those videos was speaking to different experts. And, and I'll be honest, those videos took a really, really long time, like 600 hours, 700 hours to make one of those 12 minute videos. It was kind of crazy. I think that's right. How many times have we talked about a video and we, we come on, we come on to some element of it where we think like one of us has to go deep into this. And sometimes you go deep into that research and get bonked over the head with it because it just, it doesn't apply. It's not what you thought it was going to be. And bye bye four hours of, of going into that. And then you're back to uh, to where you started on. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure book where you die after making a dumb decision. You have to go back to the point where you made that decision. Yeah, you could spend... I would spend two days reading a book that I didn't use any of the information for in a video. Like, well, oh well. <laughs> what can you do, though? There's really no... There's no way around that process. You could have a thousand people at your disposal to do this this for you. And this would, you still wouldn't, you still wouldn't get to all of it. If you had an army of dedicated hyper nerds sorting through information, it would still take a really long time. Well, and also, I don't know what hyper nerd 997 finds compelling compared to what I find compelling. So at the end of the day, ultimately, if it's your video and it's your research and it's your script, you kind of have to know the stuff yourself. That's the next step that I wanted to get to as well. So you've hit this point. You've gone from idea to making it compelling to researching every facet that, that goes into that story, anything that, that really matters to it. Then you've got to make this video, right? You've probably forgotten by now, but the whole point <laughs> of this conversation was about making a video. And you're back to that point. We've talked about, about holding on to an audience and, and giving them information that that's really compelling to them. And you, your estimate was that you kind of have to pop in somebody's head about every seven seconds. Does that seem right? I, I think so. I think you need to constantly be surprising, engaging, like setting things up and paying them off because 
there's a lot of competition out there. It's really easy to just stop watching a video and move on to something else. It's We've never in human history had the amount of options that we have for entertainment and communication as we do today. So in order to keep the attention span of, of anyone online on their phone or, you know, sitting at a desk for 12 minutes, 13 minutes, then every 30 seconds better be kind of something new or it's got to be going somewhere. Like what, what am I, why am I still watching this sort of thing? If that makes sense. It does. I have a, a predilection for the monologues, right? Like that, like that Infocom thing uh, from before. That could have been two solid minutes about, about this company and how it developed and how it failed and the crazy story about how it failed. That comes up in a lot of different videos. And you pretty much look at it and just say, hey, this is a monologue that is only interesting to you and like seven other people in the world. <laughs> it's true, though. Can you put these two pages into one good sentence? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I, I'm bored already. But it really, I think at the end of the day, at least for me and for Vsauce too, is I feel like the audience, at least, or maybe it's just me, I'm constantly asking, so what? So what? Why mm -hmm. do I need to know this? Why am I still listening to you? Why am I still watching this video? So what? What does that have to do with me? How does this help me at all? Like going on a, a rant or a monologue about Infocom and the history of this company from 35 years ago. Well, I don't know. Guess what? Most of the people watching this video were not born then. Like who? <laughs> they don't care. What does this have to do with me? Like I'm nine years old. <laughs> I just got finished watching, you know, Pew News and now I'm watching <laughs> Vsauce 2. So, you know, you better tell me or uh, continually remind me uh, what this has to do with me. They just got out of boot camp. Uh, from entering the nine-year-old army. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the process you just described but, is is what goes into making that compelling, pretty much every sentence. And the con the overall concept here, the conversation that I have with, with other creators uh, who are developing their channels, this comes up a lot, is like, this sounds strange, but it's actually not enough to be good. It's not enough to be right. It's not enough to do whatever you do well, and you'd think that it would be, okay? But it really isn't. There's another level to it that that you just touched on about making this making this interesting, making it relevant to them. So you see this with musicians a lot. You'll watch a video where somebody is killing it, whether they're singing or playing the guitar or whatever it is. They're amazing, and they've got like 93 views and you're thinking, how is this possible? Or you'll read a comment on an article that's, uh, or a, a video that's about science or politics or something that's, that's fact-based. And it's clear that this person has tremendous knowledge that they can express really well. So they're right about it. Why, why isn't their channel blowing up? Uh, so there's a lot more to it. You've got it. So you've got to take this this the results of this rabbit hole deep dive commitment to every discipline kind of thing and then put it in a format that really resonates with people and that includes a bunch of add-ons on the videos doesn't it 
really kind of crafting that viewer experience? Well, yeah, you have to have the visuals be compelling. You know, you have to have, for instance, with the human series, I always tried to have the set compelling. So I would sit in a kiddie pool or I would sit in a ball pit or I would sit next to an inflatable dragon toy. You know, there was always some sort of consideration of like, what is the audience looking at? Is that interesting? Is it just me in front of the same background? Or, you know, should I make it look more interesting? So the set, I always wanted to make compelling. The visuals, you know, the visuals are, it's a visual medium. It's video. So what am I looking at? Like it needs to be visually entertaining and I think that's part of the development over the years of shows like like Thought Glass, for instance. I don't know if people remember that show, but Thought Glass was a show that I used to do that I shot behind a gigantic pane of glass. It was essentially a whiteboard on wheels, but instead of being a whiteboard, it was glass. And the, the amount of like tedious pre-production and post-production that went into the show made it kind of unsustainable over time, which is why the show stopped. But essentially, I would present a video behind a pane of glass, and then whatever I was talking about, I had printed out icons onto translucent paper, like overhead, projected, overhead projector paper with a sticker on it. I'd put double-sided tape on a printed out overhead projector paper of like say an orange or a rocket ship or something. And as I was talking about the orange, I would stick it on the glass in front of me. And then Eric Langley, who does the VFX for Vsauce would animate that sticker. So then all of a sudden, you know, this orange could then morph into a lemon and then it can morph into a tree or whatever. And he actually won a, a he won an award, an editing award for this show. I didn't know he that. He won a, yeah, yeah. He won a Webby, I believe, for best editing years ago for a thought glass because it was, it was amazing. He would turn these stickers into animated objects. But why did I do that? Why did I go to such lengths to just to talk about, you know, why oranges are called oranges? Because I wanted it to look cool. That, that's all. I mean, I wanted it to look different and fresh and unique and stand out from the pack. And also, part of being a creative person to me is I want to see what I'm able to do. I don't know how to articulate that in, in any like higher or, or more <laughs> intelligent way. But, it, but a lot of it is just, can I make this idea... A reality. Let's find out. The cool thing about you telling the thought glass story I, I, is that I remember the complexity of that era. Uh, and you left out the part about how you shot that in one take. That was part of it as well, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was all in one take, too, because I, there couldn't be any edits on me because I, so I would have to to place the stickers and take them down all kind of choreographed along with what I'm talking about. Yes, all in one take, just because if there were jump cuts and stuff, it would look weird with 
me behind the glass and the the animation so yeah it was also yeah it was a complicated show that added levels of complexity that are just out of this world i mean anybody who's ever recorded a video on their phone knows how difficult it is to get that right the first time (laughs) like because everything goes wrong as it always does Uh, and to be able to pull off something on the level that you just described and do it in one clean take that's insane so The reason that this is so cool to me is because it stands in contrast to what you're doing now with the whiteboard that you invented. And I I really love this concept because it shows people that your content is going to sink or swim based on uh, on really just how how good it is, how compelling it is, even though good's not enough. In the end, you've got to have a decent video. And the whiteboard angle... The demos that are in front of you, they're much simpler than the craziest pane of glass system in the world, but they work really well with all the information that you're putting out there. That's a pretty remarkable thing. How did you, how did you go from a mindset of outrageous complexity and fantastic stuff to something that did even better in a simpler way? Well, I mean, all of this is just trial and error. And it's developing over the years. And that's one thing that I always tell people when they ask, you know, how do I get started? And it's like, just start and don't stop. I don't know how to describe it any better than that because it's still a a journey for me. You know, I've been doing YouTube since 2011 full time, about, I don't know, eight years And I'm still like, well, I don't know. How did this work? How's the next thing going to work? I have no idea. You're never done, but that's what makes it exciting and interesting. And that's what makes it, I wonder what I can do next. Let's see, you know, what this looks like. So the development of scaling back the complexity honestly was a combination of one, I kind of felt like I had pushed the complexity as far as I could, and I didn't know how much more complex I could get. So To me, it's not interesting to keep doing the same thing forever. I want to try new things. And the other part was, quite honestly, I wanted to upload more frequently. And those complex videos that took six, seven weeks to make, it's like, man, it's a bummer that I can only put out a small handful of videos a year like this. And I'm sure that there are plenty of people who would prefer that. But for me, like I'd much rather be able to put out a video, you know, every two to three weeks instead of every six to seven weeks. I want to jump back to something that you just said about about people getting started. That's the number one thing that people have asked me for years and years now when I, I talk to them pretty much anywhere and they find out that I work in in the YouTube arena and work with creators. It's like, oh, I've got this great idea. I wanted to do this thing forever, but uh, you know, I don't know how to get started. And they, they never like the answer, which is it doesn't matter. Just start, just do something because all mm-hmm. the planning that you're going to do is probably going to be wrong. It's not going to work out that way. I'm not saying that you press record on the camera and then just make everything up on the spot and see what happens when you press stop. But really overanalyzing and planning and thinking too hard, that's just not how any of this development works. 
what you described makes me think of how crazy it would be if we did this in any other arena. So let's say you ask a five or six-year-old what they want to do when they grow up, and they say, I want to be an author. And you tell that person, okay, what you do is think about this, overanalyze this, never practicing any of it. Do not write a single sentence until you're in a position to sit down and somehow produce a novel that's going to be a bestseller. This is insane. It's idiotic. (laughs) And we know it doesn't work that way. That kid starts writing simple sentences and reading a lot of books. And their writing develops and changes over time, and they stop making certain mistakes, and they start to develop a style. And maybe years down the line, they can, they can put all that together in a book. It works with language. It works with pretty much everything we ever do. So why wouldn't it be the same with, with a video process, you know, developing a channel? It is the same, and I think almost that almost that there really aren't great ideas. There are only great creations because who knows what, uh, what an idea is. It's just a thought. It's just a prediction. It's just, you know, an intangible, maybe this is good. I mean, no matter what the greatest idea you've ever had is, is really not worth, it's not worth any more than, the most successful mediocre creation you've ever done. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like yeah. when when I when I when I spoke to uh I had a call with an agent about a book. The book that I started writing over the summer. And I told her the idea. And essentially her reaction was, "Okay, you need to write it." Because what am I going to do with that idea? I'm going to take your great idea to a book publisher and be like, you know, well, hold on to your hats because here's <laughs> the most amazing book idea that you've ever heard in your entire life. Like that's, that's just not how, and it's no book publisher is going to be like, wow, here's an advance, Kevin. In the very first thing, <laughs> like, if that happens and they do think it's the most amazing thing that they've ever heard in their life, about seven seconds later, they say, send it over because I want to read it. So you're going to have to do right. it anyway. You gotta have to do it. Yeah, or else it doesn't exist. So, you know, what is anybody else gonna do with your idea if they can't see it, they can't watch it, they can't hear it, they can't interact with it in any way? Then, you know, it just, it's, uh, it's, it's an ethereal thing. People are concerned about making something that they'll look back on and cringe about. And I, I get that. I mean, I... <laughs> I actually used to use my college papers as an example uh, when I would help people with writing. I would send them a paper that I wrote and deconstruct that paper. And that way I was saying to them, here's me criticizing myself. Here's how much I sucked. It's okay to suck. Like, this is completely fine, and I'm comfortable doing that. It's it's not a great feeling to know that you're going to do something that a year or two later you'll look back on and think, I could have done that better, or I wish I hadn't done that at all. But at the same time, the way I put it with people who ask is, who are you going to disappoint? The zero fans you don't have? (laughs) Yeah. You know, if I start a a YouTube channel tomorrow, like literally there is nobody in the world who is going to be disappointed if it stinks. If, you know, somebody with a real presence in entertainment, like uh, 
the the hottest YouTuber of 2018, Will Smith, <laughs> if he starts a YouTube channel and it, it's really bad, well, then there are people who are going to be disappointed. But we're not Will Smith. We're not Jack Black. We're not anybody famous uh, in, you know, the zero zilch nothing creators uh, who would be in my position. Uh, and that's a really important thing to remember, even though it kind of sounds negative. It's a little depressing to think that uh, that nobody really cares about the work that you begin. But at the same time, it's a good, good feeling because you have a blank slate. You have the room to experiment, to fail without consequence, which is amazing. Uh, you don't have that flexibility down the line. And so it's something that creators need to embrace right at the beginning, that they have total freedom to make the mistakes, to reevaluate, to just find who they are and what they enjoy in the process, that's really a blessing. Yeah, and, and I don't want people to conflate failure with learning because I think we have this thing where we're afraid to fail and it's like, well, how do you expect to learn then? That I've never considered the videos that I've made or the shows that didn't go over so well as failures. They're just learning opportunities. It's like, okay, well... That wasn't the most successful thing I could have done. You know, the idea that I thought was great turned out to be a product that wasn't great. So now I've learned from that and it's time to develop something new or to pivot here or to not do that again. Maybe I'll do this instead. This is all progression. And I believe that people get afraid or they just stop themselves from being able to say, well, I failed. And... If you think about it as failure, then yeah, maybe you did fail. But the fact of the matter is, if you think about it as a learning experience, then you've gained something. And I don't know why this all of a sudden turned into like a Tony Robbins, like inspirational kind of, you know, um, I don't know. But that's how it works. though. Like Deepak Chopra thing. But that's just it's just facts. That's just facts. It's just how it does work. That's how it works. And it's, it's really helpful when you have somebody else who can get out of your head, uh, like having somebody around you who can give you, who can give you some of that feedback, uh, that really helps a lot. And how many years did we do this back and forth with us before YouTube even existed? Yeah. Where we were doing different stuff and it was extremely helpful to talk to somebody and say, Hey, is this a stupid idea? Or can you read this thing I wrote and tell me if it's as good as I think it is? And not only does that other person have pretty amazing uh, perspective uh, if you find the right one, but they also just aren't you. And that's huge. And I know that this is really tough for video creators because it is overwhelmingly an individual enterprise from the beginning. You know, it's somebody in their bedroom who has the cool idea who's gone through all the steps that we've been detailing, and then they make it, they're sitting at the computer, and it's like, now what? <laughs> like, there's no perspective on whether this is cool. They hit the, up, the, uh, the upload button, and that's something that I wanted to mention too, because you made a video about this, this experience. What happens when you, when you publish a video, didn't you? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I made a short film called After the Upload. I had an opportunity through YouTube, actually, where they were connecting creators with production companies. And 
I was able to pitch an idea for a short film where I was a YouTube creator and through my imagination, I was, I was imagining the reaction to this video that I made, essentially saying that, you know, building up in my head, wow, this is going to be the best thing ever. You know, my, my parents are going to love it. All, all of this sort of thing, just very exaggerated, very cartoonish. There were literally cartoon animated uh, CGI characters on my shoulders. And then the butt of the joke is that some random person in the middle of nowhere, a stranger that I never met, just totally <laughs> chops me at the at the knees and <laughs> you know tells me that I suck. Uh, and that, you know that is an experience. <laughs> it was it was you are to suck, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, you are to suck. To suck. Yeah, I mean that's that's the unfortunate reality sometimes. Even though even though people tend not to release a video and have uh, the randos of the world unite against them. The process that, that you put in that video, and the reason why I liked it so much, is because this is a funny, exaggerated thing. It's really hilarious. After the upload, is that what you said it was called? Yeah, after the upload. It's on my channel, and it's also yeah. on Field Day. Okay, yeah, so anybody should pop on YouTube and, and throw that in the search bar and watch this thing. It's like two minutes long. It's amazing. But that's actually a fairly accurate representation of what the experience is like for a creator. You put everything into this video. You hope that the people who are important to you and the ones who, who you've never met look at this and find value in what you're doing, and you make yourself vulnerable to pretty much anything. It could be something amazing, and it can be something soul-crushing. Yeah. Now, you've had your soul crushed, haven't you? Well, I mean, I've made hundreds of videos, so sure, there's been plenty of soul-crushing, but at the end of the day, who knows what these people's who's doing these soul crushings intentions are. Maybe they, maybe mm -hmm. they had a bad day. I mean, I, I had an interaction recently on Twitter. <laughs> I kid you not. Oh, where yeah, th this somebody, <laughs> <laughs> well, it was horrible, but it was horrible, but it's instructive here. Yeah. Okay. So here's an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, I made a post on Twitter promoting my new video. Somebody replied with something nasty, basically saying, you know, who cares about you sort of thing. I simply replied, what's your problem? Because, you know, I wanted to know, what's your problem? Why do you hate me? Yeah, well, why do you, why you hate me? What do I do? What's going on here? They replied that their dog was dying. Like, literally, their dog was dying. And they were having a horrible day. And they were in just, you know, the, the, the deepest pit of despair and sadness and... I guess, you know, a little piece of that got taken out on me, a complete stranger, just because I was promoting my Vsauce 2 video. <laughs> they, they logged into, uh, into Twitter and Kev Lieb happened to pop at the top and is the unfortunate victim of this, this uh, lashing out. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sitting here at my computer yeah. being excited about putting a new video out and this person whose dog is on his or her deathbed is is replying to me in, in a nasty mm -hmm. manner. And it's like, do I take that personally? That's not fair. I, I, it's, I have total sympathy for this person who's lashing out at me. But social media creates this dynamic where you just have no idea who these people are, what's going in their what's going on in their lives, why they're saying the things that they're saying. And I do think it takes 
it's more than just like a quote unquote thick skin, like have a thick skin, let it roll off your back. Like, I think that is, is way too dismissive of this kind of dynamic. I think it's more about trying to be more understanding about the motivations of these people, where they're coming from, why they're doing what they're doing. And at the end of the day, how that has absolutely nothing to do with you it has nothing to do with me, even if they do legit, even if they do legitimately hate me because they hate my videos, that's possible. <laughs> that's fine. They don't know me. They don't actually know me. What do they know of me? These videos that I make that I spend in like all of my life crafting into 10 minutes of entertainment. That's not me. That's a thing that I do for the Internet because I love to create things. The, the, the me that's the me is the me at Christmas dinner, you know, with my, with my family or at the dinner table with my wife. I mean, that's me. No, I think, I think you're lying to the audience here because I think that at Christmas dinner, you, you walk in the room, you pull out the chair at the table and <laughs> you announce Vsauce. <laughs> you announce Hey, Vsauce, Kevin yeah. here. <laughs> and my parents just groan because I do this every single time. They're like, oh my God, what is wrong with our son? He's so weird. I, I, am, I am dying at the, the prospect of you answering the phone like that every single time your wife calls you. And, the, and, and then rambling on about Ant on a rope, uh, but a rubber you, rope paradox when she's just like wondering if I could pick up milk on the way home. But... <laughs> <laughs> so, so you talked about uh, how people are going to say rough things, and usually it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's a lot more about them. But the thing that fascinates me and that we have talked about for at least a year now is that there may be some value in what they're saying. They may be right sometimes. And uh, how critical it is to read the, really read the comments which everybody thinks this is the worst possible thing you can do. Never, ever read the comments. I think it's the opposite. And you do have to put up with those slings and arrows that you just mentioned. Uh, things that are valueless, hurtful, all of that. But if somebody has something substantial, uh, a substantial reaction about a video, this may very well be an important thing to consider, especially when they're not alone. And that criticism is invaluable in terms of developing your channel, developing your content. It can help you decide that, well, maybe this series isn't cutting it, or maybe maybe the way I addressed this topic was just not what the people who follow this channel are into. And the one specific example I want to put out on this was how cool it was to see you make a video on a paradox, which I think it was Potato Paradox. And we read some comments that were really negative uh, where people are saying, yeah, this is dumb because yeah. it's not even a paradox. This isn't a paradox. And we realized that people didn't know what a paradox was and wasn't. They'd never thought about the classification systems that go into categorizing paradoxes. So the next video you did was what is a paradox, which was the biggest video for you in 2018. It consistently, consistently racks up views and minutes and people just go crazy for it. Now, that was strangely born from criticism in the comments of a video. Yeah, yeah, literally, directly, directly born from people being upset at me 
essentially for making a video called the potato paradox and they didn't believe that it was a paradox so they felt duped they felt like that video was clickbait this isn't a paradox you're just doing bad math essentially comments like that so i read them and i decided okay well what is a paradox if you don't think that a veridical paradox is a paradox then let's talk about what paradoxes are and aren't what is a veridical paradox what is a falsitical paradox you know and go into quine and his classifications of the different types and that ended up being not only the most popular video of 2018 but one that i probably had the most fun with honestly there were a lot of elements in, in that video that i had a lot of fun with that i thought were neat with like the note card and pulling the tape off the note card and just the different setups trying to explain the monty hall paradox in a fresh way that i believe is the most coherent way that that paradox has been explained and people still don't believe it which is why it's a paradox hello <laughs> that's the other funny thing it's like when you get when you get all these comments that are like oh that's you know that's wrong it doesn't make sense it's like the reason you think right. that that's why this is a paradox <laughs> yeah is because you don't believe it. It set the stage for a bunch of really good videos in that system, in that system of thought. You've established what a paradox is, the different types of it, and then uh, that's something that could be referenced in, in future content. And to bring it back, all of this came from, uh, from comments that just were not people fawning over how amazing you were. They were saying there's a problem with what you've done. And you started to think about whether there really was a problem. Uh, there wasn't. The potato paradox is a legitimate paradox. But uh, it led you to think very closely uh, about, or very deeply about uh, how people are processing this content. And as you did that and went down, went through all of those steps, other topics came to light as being really interesting. This one is going to tweak everybody's mind specifically because so many people have trouble with this this concept or they think this other concept is totally invalid when it's not uh it's shocking how how processing that feedback that initially seemed negative turned out to be one of the most positive things that could have ever happened yeah and i think if there's a main takeaway from this discussion and from the steps that we've kind of laid out here on this podcast it's that all of this you know for me in year eight in year nine is still developing it's still ongoing i'm still figuring this out as i go along i think that we get this in our head as audience members watching other people's content that well, I can't do that because like that person figured out exactly the right thing to do or, you know, they are uniquely good at this one thing and they were just born that way. <laughs> like I'll never be able to do what they do. And for everyone, it's always a learning process. You're always trying new things. You're always kind of separating the wheat from the chaff, discarding ideas, uh, absorbing new ones. And that's, to me, what the Create Unknown is all about. 
literally that's what this podcast is about. That's what the name, the create unknown signifies is that all of this is about creating the unknown. It's about making things. It's about turning ideas into shareable, tangible, or, you know, sensory stimulating projects. That's what we, that's really what we started with, isn't it? Where uh, we started at a point of uh, being totally, totally unknown in every way. How, what am I going to do a video on? How am I going to make that video interesting? I don't know. How am I going to make it visually compelling? Craft a narrative that resonates with people that they care about. We didn't even, we didn't even get in to elements like, how do you use music to augment this? How do you uh, take advantage of other media to really craft the whole experience? We didn't get into, all right, you've gotten somebody to watch your video. What, what do you have to do to make them subscribe? So they, to make them think, oh, I liked what I just saw. I definitely want to see the next thing that comes from this person. That's a completely different topic. And every one of these little steps, as I was saying when I wrote that comment to my friend, I made a bullet list of 19 things off the top of my head. I'm going to keep going on that list, and I would not be surprised if it goes over 50 when I slowly add things to it. And every single point in that whole process is entering a state of the unknown. You might have some guesses, you might have some ideas, you might have some mentors, who knows, some kind of information. But in the end, like you're honestly entering the unknown. You're constantly asking questions and trying to come up with the best answers and hoping that it works out. And if it doesn't, then ask new questions and find some, some new answers. But we can get into the, those other steps in the next installment of this series while we're gearing up for season two. Uh, I hope that all of you found this discussion interesting and, you know, helpful if you're out there thinking about starting your own channel or starting a comic strip or writing music or, or whatever it is that you're interested in, or just better understanding the creators who you follow and who you love. So thank you very much for listening. This has been Kevin Lieber and Matthew Tabor for the create unknown. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the create unknown. If you want to help us out, please leave a review on Apple podcasts and Podchaser. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe for free on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app, whatever that is. It's up to you. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown and on Twitter at Create Unknown. We couldn't get the word the. Uh, Twitter has a uh, character limit, so thanks, Twitter. And our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is a Vsauce production in association with Triangle Content. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check us out on YouTube at Vsauce2. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. Our theme song is from the incredible Mega Drive. You can check out Mega Drive's website in the show notes. Host and guest portraits by the amazing Tim Webster. His portfolio and website are also in the show notes. This episode was edited by Adam Ganong. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, you are about to exit. And as always, thanks for listening. 